Welcome to Big Boy Church. Welcome to Big Boy Church, where we discuss heavy-hitting topics with some lighthearted conversation. My name is Pastor Nate Trawick. I'm Pastor Chris Porter. And this is our first official episode of the Big Boy Church podcast. Big Boy Church. And we're recording this on a Sunday night after uh, we had the gathering at Harvest Baptist mm. Church this morning. And uh, maybe everybody got a nap or didn't get a nap. And uh, here we are, uh, still the Lord's Day, I think. Yeah, for another two and a half hours. So it's good yeah. stuff. But Yeah. What are we talking about tonight? Uh, tonight uh, is confessionalism. So big subject there. Uh, probably a subject that a lot of people who are listening maybe haven't even heard that word before. I was about to say, how big of a subject is it really? How many Christians would even know what we're talking about? Well, I think big subject. Like, it's a large subject to talk about. Not like, and an important one. But not necessarily like a big one as in like an influential or important uh, in terms of Why do you think that is? Dialogue. Why is it not a big thing? Why is confessionalism a foreign concept? To most of our listeners. Because we've made church about so much else other than God and what we believe. Ooh. I mean, I think just, I mean, just being That's honest, when you look at how most people look at church today, it's, you know, how can we bring as many people as we can into the building? Um, and then that turns into strategy meetings about sitting around a table with a bunch of people saying, hey, what do you think we should do? Um, what ideas do you have of how we can get more youth in the building or get, you know, more lost people here, or, you know, whatever the the desire is. And so are you against bringing a lot of people into the church build? Uh, I'm against it if it comes at the expense of the purity of the church. Where's that line at? The Bible. Ah. What do you mean by that? Why why would that be the line? Because that's God's line. And God created the church and has called us to do things a certain way and uh, think a certain way. Don't you way. think God wants a lot of people in the church, Nate? Oh, yeah, he does. But uh, yeah. that is, that's his business, Chris. That's his business. But we don't want to come off like we're, we're against big churches. Oh, no. No, not against big churches. Just against... Bad big churches. Bad big churches. I, and we're, we're a little small church over here in the, um, Sticks. what side? Northeastern side of Banks County. Is that what side of Banks County we're in? Northwest. Northwestern side of Banks County. We're not against large churches. We're for large churches and for small churches, right? No, yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah. uh, ideally the church should be large. Um, you know, I mm. think uh, the church will be large, right? Uh, if you have your eschatology. Um, but, uh, you know, I think having a big church or a small church really, um, in and of itself is kind of a, a moot point. I think the question is, what do you do with scripture? And, uh, you know, really what, what is your view of church? Is it a big boy church view or is it a youth group church view? So let me ask you a question, Nate, before we get into um, eschatology, which is not our topic tonight, uh, or my eschatology, or your wrong eschatology, uh. um, what, 
do you, there's a medieval that medieval theologians many of them believed uh, or ascribed that um, a question they talked about some was how many Christians are there going to be hmm. how many people did God elect um, to be saved and uh, a lot of them answered and ascribed that as many demons that fell when Satan fell that's how many God was uh, that's how many Christians there would be. That's how many um, would come to faith in Christ. That's how many children God would have to replace those that fail. You ascribe to that. What do you think about that, Nate? Nah, and I think that's, you know, confessionalism kind of, if you are a confessional Christian, you know better than that. Um, but, uh, but uh, no, I think, you know. Shot at our medieval brothers. Yeah, yeah, medieval. They, they had some things going for them, but the Reformation hadn't happened yet, so... Um, no. Oh, but sure, but surely some of them had it. Oh yeah, I mean certainly some of them had it, right? Or else Luther wouldn't have found it. Um, but um, so, but no, I think you know when you think about how many Christians will there be, uh, there will be as many Christians as who confess to use the word Jesus as Lord, um, and uh, that number is a mystery to us. And to say that you know it's the same number as the number of demons, then sure. Um, I think we do know from the Bible that that number will be few um, in the grand scheme of world history um, because it says that the gate is narrow that leads to life and not many will go down it. So so are you saying you know how many demons fell from heaven? Uh, I don't prescribe to know that either. No. Is that in any of the confessions that you ascribe to? Uh, negative. I don't know so, how to answer these uh, questions. <laughs> <laughs> confessionalism. None of these questions have to do with confessionalism, for sure. No. Uh, confessionalism. Mm, we need to start with some kind of working definition, um, or or kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah, I, I think when I think about confessionalism, um, you know, anytime there's an ism, it's a idea or a thought, um, and then confessional. So I think. You know, what does it mean? Wow, people are so thankful they spent the time listening to this right now. <laughs> so I think in my mind, you know, what does it mean to be confessional? Um, wow. Uh, it means that uh, you... You want me to take a stab at it? Y- go for it. I mean, I can do it, but <laughs> I was just trying to be thoughtful in the answer. But go for it. Yeah, yeah. You got it. I don't think I have anything better. I, I would think uh, a church that is confessional is one that ties himself to some confession in the past. Yeah. Something um, that his, either one, a, maybe not necessarily confession in the past, but holds holds to a certain written body of statements that say, this is what we believe. Mm. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're Baptists at Harvest. We are... <clears throat> unashamedly, we want people to know uh, that we are Baptists. Nate, you're about to put it on our church sign up, and it has Baptists all over it. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we. So at our previous church that we worked at, there was a former employee who would not refer uh, to the church as Baptists. Maysville Church. <laughs> uh, yeah, Maysville Church. Would not refer to it as Baptists. But we are unashamedly Baptists. And Baptists are confessional people historically, mm. all kind of different confessions. Mm. Um, now, we could have the debate and talk about, is the Baptist faith in message? Is that a confession? Maybe we'll get there. Mm. Um, but 
Anyhow, so um, at Harvest, uh, Nate, would you say we're confessional? Oh, yeah. I think that's, I mean, I think definitionally we set out to be that. So I would hope we are. So um, lay that out maybe for maybe our church members. Well, if, you, if you're a church member at Harvest, you, you actually have to know our statements, our confessions, <laughs> and agree to believe them. So <laughs> you, you, if you're a member and you don't know the confessions or you don't know what we're talking about, be sure to call one of our pastors pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely want to talk to you. Uh, not not in a bad way, but maybe a bad way. Yeah, but. so so we're confessional. Um, now, um, Presbyterians. Yes. Um, conservative Presbyterians. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mostly hold to the Westminster Confession mm. and Catechism, shorter, larger, all that kind of thing. Um, now, our now Baptist polity, which is church government, mm. and now this is big boy church talk because we're talking about church government and, and might get in the weeds, but um, we're an autonomous church. Every um, true Baptist church is congregational in its um and it's polity at some level, in some way, which simply means there's nothing above the local church. There's nobody above the local church tells that local church how it's going to run and operate or what it's going to do. Hmm. Um, it is strictly the church members who dictate what happens. Now, the level of which church members do that at different churches, uh, and surely we're going to have a an episode on church polity and church government, and I think that'll be a fun one. But the... Presbyterians have a presbyter- presbytery over certain churches and and that kind of thing, and um, they do direct the churches in in a sense, and and they're all going to hold to one confession, the Westminster predominantly. And I may have, I don't think I have that too far off, but that's somewhat the gist. But Baptists, because we're autonomous, because we're local congregational, through the history of Baptist churches, congregational Baptist churches, as far as my understanding, really don't pop up in church history until about the 1600s um, in Europe. So we're pretty new onto the scene of church history. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, uh, we're not much older than America itself. So, um, I mean, golly, I know any new theology is not good theology, but man, maybe this new church polity that's only a couple hundred years old is the best. What do you what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think looking at the the Reformation, I think that's one of the cool things about um, you know being Baptist is that we do get to say we come out of that movement. Um, and uh, you know, looking at what happened in that movement is that the Bible was given to Christians uh, really for the first time in history, and they had the opportunity then to say, okay, how are you going to be faithful to this end? Um, and looking at Baptist polity, I think it's a direct, um, from my reading of Scripture, and I, th- I would hope from your reading of Scripture as well. So we're the natural child of the Reformation. We are what had to uh, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think when, when you give the Bible to everyday people and take it out of the hands of a select few elite, you know, educated people, uh, you're going to have people who say, whoa, 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 wait, uh, how, how do we understand church discipline, for example, in light of the Catholic Church, when in reality, Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians to a group of believers at a church, um, not an organization in another country. So, um, And there in Galatians, you have Paul writing to local churches, mm. um, telling them to throw out false teachers. 
yeah. for them to be accursed. So in that in church discipline, I hadn't thought about this, Nate, but it really does, to your point, it goes a, very far with confessionalism. Um, because, you know, you may think church discipline is a behavior, in which it certainly can be a sinful behavior. Um, but it's also a wrong belief. Hmm. You know, I mean, I would say probably the majority of church discipline, I would think, probably is is a wrong belief about something. So, you know, that's a—and if you don't have a confession, you, you might be hard point to say, well, our pastor says this is what's right. Mm. And I see that in a lot of churches, mm. a lot of churches where what the church believes is what the pastor believes, mm. for good, bad, or worse. Uh, and I see that as dangerous. Yeah, no, I, and I think that comes right out of, you know, modern American, you know, individualistic, postmodern, whatever you want to call it, thought of, you know, you've— You've got the power to have your own truth, and you can have your own interpretation, whatever. Um, and we've come up with this system. Or I'll just believe whatever my pastor believes. Yeah, and 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 I think people have a good intention in saying this, but they just say, "I just believe the Bible." Um, but the problem with that is when you have, in the case of Christianity, according to almost every metric you see, which I think this is a big overestimation, but you know, well over a billion Christians in the world, um, which I think is a huge overestimation. Um, um, but and more majority of that number being Catholics, yeah, Roman yeah, yeah. Catholics. Um, but when, which we would have to say we agree with not much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but when there's that many people in the world who all say they believe the Bible, you have to say, okay, well, surely not everybody can be right. And beyond that, uh, you got to have some sort of something to hold you together or else everybody's going to be floating off into all sorts of wrong thinking and everything else. Well, let's, let's, let's tip our hat to the Roman Catholics for a minute. Now, we're Protestants and happy to be so. I am personally. But, uh, you know, the big... If you go back to the 1500s, there was never a thought the early, right before the Reformation that there could be another church other than the Roman Catholic Church. Mm. Right? Like, I mean, splitting from that church would have been like, that I, That was a foreign concept, mm. right? Like, that. that's uh, planning a new church, like, and starting a new thing, that's a, that's a new thing in church history, right? Mm. I mean, like, that is, that would have been a foreign concept in the 1500s. So, uh, and, and the, you know, what, what, the Roman Catholics said then, and I think you kind of got to tip our hat and say they were right, that if this happened, if the Reformation took hold, then you'd have splinters and churches of all kinds and all shapes, and here we are. Hmm. Yeah, but I think what kind of has risen out of that is uh, the true meaning of Catholic, uh, a faithful, pure church, um, I think has kind of arisen out of that as a result. Um, so, whereas but there, wouldn't you have to admit there's a lot of untrue? Well, no, yeah, certainly and a lot of splinters. And, and I think you know that Jesus foretold that. You know, depending on which soil the seed fell on, you know, it depends on what plant grows. And certainly, there's going to be good seed, good soil, bad seed, bad soil. Um, and so, I th- wasn't it better though if we just all, you know, agreed with the Pope? When the Pope's wrong as often as the Pope is now. 
<laughs> uh, well, that's how a lot of churches do, though. Though they have their pope, and they agree with their pope. I, I, I think I bring all that up to say I think the answer is confessionalism. Yeah, to tie your church yourself to historic biblical confession. And the neat thing about Baptists in our short history is that, man, Baptists have had all kinds of confessions. Some, a lot of them have wrote their own confessions. Uh, a lot of you know churches pull from different confessions and hold to them. At Harvest, we hold to. Um, we hold to the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. Um, it's very short. It's pretty. I think it's solid. It's pretty concise. Um, you know, and we want to assure our people that everything that comes from our pulpit will align with that. Mm. Um, will be in accord with that. And um, you know, and of course, the Baptist faith and message is we also say is one of our confessions. Which you know, who knows if that's a confession or not? Yeah. Which really, honestly, in form and structure and even in wording is at times pretty much identical to New Hampshire. Um, I found that to be interesting as I've looked through those documents is they're very, very similar at times. Um, and I think, in, I mean, obviously intentionally so with uh, some of the writers there wanting to draw back some of those historical roots. But Yeah, um, well, one thing you'll find in New Hampshire that you won't find as far as tones and kind of purpose that you won't find in the Baptist faith and message is, and just speaking about our confessions, is the New Hampshire confession was really birthed out of a reformed evangelical desire. It was um, a solid doctrinal position that was evangelistic, right? Mm. Um, and a lot of times, and in, in though in the early 18 or you know, uh, 1700s, those. Um, more form views were seen as anti-evangelical, which they are today in a lot of places. And uh, if you read the New Hampshire, you will find out very quickly it is very evangelistic. Um, and we are too at Harvest, and I think that's one of the reasons I personally really like it and am drawn to that. Um, and uh, the Baptist faith and message, though the the one we hold to, the 2001, I believe that's right, Nate, mm-hmm. 2001? 2000. Um, you know, out. At 2000, Al Mohler, you know, headed the committee that edited that, who mm. is, you know, a, a good brother. Yeah. 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 So um, why confession? Why should churches hold to confessions? Mm. Well, I think part of that, to answer that question, I think we need to hit on um, the, the pushback that I think you and I have both gotten about being confessional, and that is are you saying that a confession is more authoritative than scripture? Um, I think that's a a big pushback I've gotten. Uh, I'm sure that you've gotten that same pushback. Um, And and I think we would both want to say that absolutely not. Um, To quote Doug Wilson, he was talking about being confessional and um, the importance of that. And and he said, uh, when talking about specifically the creeds, he said, uh, you know, I'm certainly, uh, not saying that the creeds are more authoritative than Scripture, but what I am saying is that they're more authoritative than I am. Um, and I think that's what we would want to say about the confessions at Harvest, is that um, they're not more authoritative than Scripture, but what churches and church history has agreed upon for centuries as being orthodox is definitely more authoritative than the new thought I just had five seconds ago. It, it, it's It's a... One, I want to say this, it's biblical, and two, I'd want to say it's necessary. Mm. It's practical. 
not the, I don't think we're the best pragmatists in the world, but I think when it comes to church, I don't know anything too more practical than being a confessional church. One, I want to say it's biblical. I mean, um, you know, the, the confession in the early church is Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah. Uh, that's the confession. And you see that all throughout the scripture. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, I give to you the first importance that Christ died according to the scriptures, was buried on the third day, rose again according to the scripture. Mm. Right. So, And that was, a uh, for most scholarship today, that was an early hymn. Mm. That the church would have sung. Uh, Philippians 2 is seen as an early. I mean, there's different sections that seems to be, this is what the church, these sayings, this is what the church held to as this essential belief. And, um, you know, I find uh, in Acts, I believe it's uh, 20, when Paul quotes, or, it, you know, if you have a red-letter Bible, you'll see where uh, Paul is talking and preaching, and uh, he quotes Jesus, and he says, it's better to give than to receive. Well, and if you have a red letter Bible, that's in red letters, but you will not find that anywhere in the Gospels. <laughs> but surely Jesus said it. Uh, but it had become apparently such a Christian thing. It becomes such a belief, such that it's better to give than to receive, mm-hmm. right? And that was part of the early church's confession. So um, you, you just see that all throughout the Bible. So the, I want to say the Bible has confessions in it. Therefore, it's mm-hmm. a good thing that we should have confessions. But it's practical. Really, the question everybody around us in every church is nobody's really standing up saying, hey, we don't believe the Bible. <laughs> but yeah, they're believing all kinds of things. There's cults everywhere you look. There's people who are, there's people who don't even care about theology who say they're Christians and say they believe the Bible. So um, I almost think it's a necessary mm. uh, and practical to say, hey, this is what we believe. And I want to say, I don't, I think it's, it's a huge help in discipleship to be confessional too. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that that point there about discipleship, um, I think we've seen play out in the life of our church, just being able to use the readings in, in, in our Lord's Day gatherings. I mean, I think that's just been, um, I mean, thinking about the last three Sundays we've read through, um, talking about is the Baptist faith a message of confession, we've read the this passage about Jesus the past three Sundays, and um, just each Sunday listening to Pastor Chris read that and um, catching something different to think about each week has just been so encouraging for me and a reminder of like, oh yeah, we do actually believe that, um, and being able to rally around that as a church and say, not just does Nate believe this, not just does Pastor Chris believe this, but we believe this. This is what we believe. This is what the Bible says. Um, I think there's a lot of value yeah. there. Yeah, and uh, I think the biggest, you said some of the feedback you've got about being confessional, I think the biggest, I think I've heard this three or four times, you know, you I really don't like it that you guys just read that in the in the service. Like it's kind of boring. Like uh, I've got that a couple times. Or hey, my kids they kind of they get bored when you start reading the confession, um, or you just start reading the scriptures. Uh, it's just kind of boring. <laughs> um, and to non Christians, let's be honest, reading the Bible um, and um, you know, reading confessions and confession is simply what we believe the Bible says. It's really mm-hmm. systematic theology uh, put in practice. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be kind of boring. Yeah. So should we knock it out since non-Christians thinks it's boring? Nate, you think we should kind of throw confessions out the door and Bible reading and services since it's kind of people are leaving our church because of that? No, I think it's, in my mind, kind of all the reason more to, to double down and, and keep doing it because... <laughs> Uh, you know, I, 
I mean, we live in a day and age where nobody really knows what they believe. I mean, you ask someone on the street, uh, hey, are you a Christian? Uh, at least where we live, most people are going to say yes. Um, in fact, you know, this, the numbers we've looked at, most people would probably say they're Baptist. Um, and then you start asking them, you know, hey, well, what do you, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the Bible? Like you said earlier, you're going to start getting all sorts of crazy off-the-wall, bizarro answers about all sorts of different doctrine. Um, and uh, I, I think just from an evangelistic standpoint, the outside world looks at that and go, you guys don't have a clue what you believe. Why in the world? Mm. How in the world am I supposed to know what to believe when you don't even know? Um, mm. And so uh, I, I look at being confessional um, and just the benefit of having uh, like you said, kind of that systematic theology uh, in, a, in a nutshell uh, as such a huge benefit. Um, and, 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 and is it objectively entertaining? No. But my, my, my response, is, is that what we're there for? Um, are we there to be entertained? Um, also, are you no. not entertained? Uh, so, you know, I think having and being confessional um, a, it just, like you said, practically, um, is so helpful, but even more than that, um, I think it grounds us in something in, in, in deeper truths and, and gets us in contact with, with those things and forces us in an age where we are so anti-theology as an American church, uh, to really dig in and ask ourselves and force ourselves to ask ourselves the question, do I actually believe this? Um, because I don't think, I, I, I think all across America, I think people listening to this probably could even testify that this is true of them, that you can walk in and out of a church every Sunday and never come into conflict with the gospel, never come into conflict with what you believe about God. Um, and I think being confessional um, as a church forces us and our people to to hold ourselves to that standard and say, do we actually believe this? Um, yes. So. Yeah, I think I think it really helps worship. Um, in in our services this morning, Nate, when we read the confession and the Baptist faith and message, it's it's a, about a paragraph about mm-hmm. Christ, and we've done that a couple weeks in a row, and I think it's been enriching. And after we did that, we sung "Jesus Paid It All," and it really, in my heart, gave me a lot of context for what we were singing and who we were singing to. Mm-hmm. And who we were singing about, and who it was that paid it all, and what he paid for. Um, it, yeah, and man, it was just good. It was good mm. for my heart. You know, it had my mind. It not only so much worship today and music, mm. if you want to call it worship or music in churches, it's just really trying to get my my emotions involved. And I think confessionalism, when you use it in worship, when you use the creeds and mm. the confessions in worship. It really gets your mind engaged. Mm. So any pastors or church leaders who ever hear this, let me encourage you. For the love of your people, think about using a confession in your service. Mm. Yeah, and I think to that point, so many people find it boring. Um, You know, people, you know, so much Christian worship music today is written for the purpose of entertaining. So many Christian services are built around the purpose of being entertainment. Um, and And I think that is true because people are looking for an artificial experience of something that they could never know because they don't know the gospel. Um, mm. and do you find it, do you find it Nate to your point that in a lot of that music, that's that what you're talking about. Um, you, f- you find the 
the beat and you find the experience uh, and you, you find a little bit of meat mm. and then you just have a lot of blah. Yeah. Do you, do you find that? I, um, my son come home, he goes to a Christian um, preschool <laughs> and he's uh, this song I had never heard honey and the rock. You heard that? Not heard that one. That song. Uh, it's really catchy. There's honey in the rock and like the, Kind of the punchline is like, oh, you know, and I was like, I gotta find this song because he's singing it. And I don't really know what he's singing, but it sounds pretty cool. He loves music, and so I find it. And of course, it's like a, you know, the chorus is pretty good. And then like the rest of it is, I'm calling on the Lord to move. When I praise, He does miracles. When I do something, He, oh, you know, I'm forcing God to do something. And I was like, oh, you just need a good confession that mm. God is a God without passions. Nothing you do makes him react to you. Sorry. Uh, and so I, I'm songwriting in our day, because you think about it, if these songwriters who are more popular than, you know, um, and, and maybe do podcasts like we do, that more than two people will listen to, uh, like ours, you know, um, that, you know, have thousands of people that millions that hear their songs and if if man they ha- if they were a part of confessional churches, mm. they would have the good punchlines, right? Catchy, mm. but they would have good verses to go with it. Yeah, and if we would just come as a church to the understanding that, uh, uh like I I, I want to say emotion is not bad in worship. Uh, I looked around no. our service this morning and saw several of our sweet church members who were joyful, who were. Uh, reflective, who, I mean, just looking around and seeing some of the responses that our church members were having in, in the service, just in singing songs and, um, you know, after the sermon and, and, and throughout the whole service, there there was emotion. And at Harvest, I want to say we're not against, like, I'm I'm grateful that there was response in terms of... I want to say, I, in my mind, I'm for emotion. Yeah. Like, I want there to be that. Yes. There should be. Yeah. When we're talking about and preaching and singing and praying, yeah. I mean, there really should be... A, but if you don't engage the mind, mm. the emotions are going to be so superficial. Yeah, and if and if emotions exist just for the sake of emotions and aren't a response to something, then what have you done? You've had yeah, a spiritual just, that's moment. That's emotionalism. Yeah, you've had a spiritual moment that is going to fall flat, which, you know, going back to the intro, I think is what you see out of a lot of the youth group culture in our country. But, um, You know, I want to say something about our church I think that's um, pretty special. Um, we're a small church. We're a new church. We're not, we know we're six months old or so. And, um, our people are faithful. Mm. Like our members are faithful. Mm. Like, you know, our church is made up, I think kind of like 14 families Mm. and, uh, in our, our membership directory, which is awesome. I love our membership directory, 14 families. And they are so faithful. Like they're just so faithful to attend the Lord's day gathering. And, um, I, I, I tend to think that, uh, I think, you know, intentionally when we started the church, we had the idea of we want a true church, like a, mm. a church that's based on the truth, right? A church that is committed to the truth. Yep. Um, and we try to hit that every Sunday intentionally. The truth is what's important, you know, the truth about God and the gospel. And I think, I, I, I just think I, I'm, I'm proud to be part of Harvest Baptist where I believe the people are committed to the truth, and they don't waver a lot. They're not flimsy. Um, the average Christian goes to church less than one time a month, okay? Um, and we just don't see that at Harvest. I mean, we we do not see that, and I'm proud of that, and I think that goes against a lot of trends today. Yeah.
And uh, so if I could give any encouragement, nobody's asking me for church planting advice. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, I think we had some people who were worried that we were going to take their church members when we first planted and they come visit our church and they're like, oh, this, this is kind of boring. <laughs> or this is, there's not really a lot going on up there. There's not a much show there. Mm. They prayed a lot. They uh, read the Bible a lot up there. They sung hymns and they preached like the Bible. And, uh, you know, there was no lights, camera action, uh, no smoke, you know. So no Santa Claus is on stage, Pastor <laughs> Jacob Griffin. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So, Chris, what do you think are some dangers of confessionalism? Because I don't think it's all rosy and, and happy. I think certainly there might be some some snags maybe that if you go too far down the road that you could hit. Sure. Um, I don't think too many Baptists are in, in danger of this, but... Uh, it could be. I would hope to see confessionalism grow as a trend. I think that would be a good sign for the American church or any church for that matter to become confessional, mm. just to become more, uh, dive into what they believe and to hold to historic Christianity. Mm. I think is always going to be a good sign of help. But uh, if you're not careful, I think you could begin to hold a confession above the Bible. Mm. I think it's good to remember that men write confessions and systematic theology books. Uh, and God writes, God is the author of the Bible. So we should keep our confessions um, in our hands, and we should keep the Bible in our close to our hearts. Mm. So um, I think just that priority will always be helpful. Um, they are there for a guide. They're, they, if they are, if they line up with the Bible, they are, they are great. They are wonderful. They should be used in worship and in daily life, and, and yes, but if you're not careful, um, I see some of that Presbyterianism with the Westminster Confession, um, you know, I see some of that, and, and, and historically, the Westminster Confession, when, um, when America, you know, really, you know, started, and uh, the churches were growing all across the land, and you had a lot of issues that the Bible just really didn't talk to, like, you know, um, for one, for one, you know, what do you do if you're out in the Midwest and your um, your wife dies and, you know, your brother uh, across the river, uh, he died. Should you marry your brother's wife and take care of his family? Well, Westminster Confession has got some encouragement for you in that. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, uh, you, you know, it's kind of written for practical purposes and it's really big. Mm. So I'm just saying, you know, it... it, it it's used for that kind of thing. So, um, on the flip side it, of that, though, what what do you think about some of our Baptist friends, especially in Southern Baptist circles, who say, "Well, we don't hold to any creed or confession but the Bible." I think that's dangerous. Uh, you know, actually, the very first president of the Southern Baptist Convention, um, he that was kind of his deal. Mm. Um, back in the 1800s. Uh, he's probably the only one <laughs> president since then that's ever held that kind of thought, and that's very popular. I don't want no creed but the Bible. I don't want theology. I just want Jesus. Um, and I would just say you can't avoid it. There's, I mean, as soon as you say you're a Christian, as soon as you say you're a Christian or that you want Jesus, you're saying something about theology, right? So uh, I just want to say it's biblical. Um, the Bible has confessions in it. And we should have confessions. So, 
Um, and I think I just want to encourage, I understand that you want to hold to the Bible and that's wonderful and that's great. But today you just, that's just not clear. Mm. Everybody says they believe in the Bible. Not nobody, uh, hardly, you know, from denomination, denomination, really church across the street. Uh, we don't, it's sadly to say, it'd be great if we could just all say we believe the Bible, mm. but we are all saying we believe the Bible, but we all don't believe the same thing about the Bible. So I would just say you're putting yourself in a really ambiguity, ambiguous situation that I don't think you're helping people. And you can be deceptive too, mm. right? Like you go into a church and we have no creeds but the Bible. Okay. So that tells you nothing <laughs> about what they believe about anything. So it's just not clear. And people can hide behind that. And I think that's just a danger. Yeah. Where do you think that comes from? Where does that come from? Yeah. Uh, it com- I think it comes, I think it somewhat is a response from the 80s and 90s to the, uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s, there was the Jesus Project out in California where all these liberal scholars got together. They went through the Gospels and they took out everything that had anything to do with any kind of supernatural, miraculous things in the Bible. And they, you know, they kind of, picked and choose and said, well, that can't be in the Bible because it's, you know, uh, it's it's miraculous, it's supernatural. And, and Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, just come under a big hit in our postmodern world um, and uh, our modern world before that, you know, is, is the Bible true? And now we're asking, is truth even a thing? Hmm. Um, and kind of in response to that, I think the average pastor says, I don't know how to talk about those things. I don't know how to fight that fight in my mind and, and I don't know how to use logic and um, so I'll just kind of hide behind hey I believe the Bible um, so which like I'm saying uh, Unitarians those liberals in the Jesus project I mean they all say they believe the Bible too Mormons so, Jehovah's Witness Catholics yeah absolutely so um, yeah and but I, I think it just is a response to all the attack and it's an easy way out I think it's the easy way. So what other dangers? You said you know, the danger might be going too far down and putting the, the, the creeds, confessions above the Bible. What, what else do you see maybe that we need to look out for? Hmm. Yeah, you, you know, uh, you, you could become stale hmm. in a sense that, uh, you know, if you come to Harvest, you might say it's more high church just as far as flow and form. You know, you might say that. I don't know. We don't have bells and smells, but it, it is, um, it, you know, we're singing hymns. I mean, we're, yeah, we're flowing. Um, but it, you might say it's more high church. Um, we plan our services. So, I don't, <laughs> you know, that maybe that's, um, those terms aren't clear, high church and low church. Mm. But I, I think if you're not, if, you know, careful, you can kind of get rigid. You can, you can kind of get, um, you know, you, you cannot get to the emotions and the, you can get in the routine and not really slow down and think about the meat and meditate. And, and that's just pastor's job to make sure that don't happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think last question, I just thought about this one. This one's going to probably, I don't think it's going to trip you up because I think you have an answer, but um, for you personally, Oh, I probably don't for you personally. You have to pick one confession to hold to as an individual 
This is not Harvest Baptist. This is not uh, anything other than for Chris Porter personally. If you had to hold to just one confession, which confession would you hold to? Oh, that's tough. If I just had to hold to one confession, um, I'm going to choose the New Hampshire. Um, I'm going to choose the New Hampshire. I'd love to say London Baptist, but I'm just not that familiar with it, to be honest. Um, I, I should be. Um, but I, I love the New Hampshire. I love it. It's 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 clear. It's beautiful written. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I just love it. I think I would just take the Bible. But. <laughs> uh no, I, of course I think would. I would probably take the second London Baptist. It's pretty thorough. I think it goes everywhere I'd want it to go. It doesn't go too far, um, but that's just me. If I had a catechism, now that might be a harder Ooh. question. Catechisms and confessions had... connected? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Maybe used for different purposes, yeah. but similar. Yeah. Similar, and maybe we, we we should have an episode on catechisms. Yeah, that might be a good idea. But if I had to hold to one, I'd I'd hide to the Heidelberg Catechism. Heidelberg that's for Catechism. Sure. It's amazing. Yeah, somebody needs a good devotion, something to work through in your devotion life. You should take the Heidelberg Catechism or the Harvest Baptist Church Catechism. That's about to come yeah, out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, which has a lot of the Heidelberg yeah. Catechism. You you pretty blatantly say in the introduction that. Basically, none of the questions and answers are anything that we come up with. It was all borrowed from everywhere else. So, Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, Luther, if you want an introduction to Martin Luther, you, you can't go wrong with his catechisms. He said only only two works of his should survive, and he wrote 50, 60 books in his time and thousands of leaflets and pamphlets. But he said that um, Bondage of the Will and his uh, shorter catechism are the only two works that should survive mm. him. Very interesting. And they're really good. He, he does shorter ones made for children and families and it's still really good. Yeah. Where, uh, this yeah. is a little bit of a off topic. Actually, no, this doesn't even fit. This needs to get cut. I was going to ask, it doesn't I matter. was going to ask where you were going Sunday with your sermon, but people who are listening to this will have heard your sermon already. So, where where was I? No, going? like this coming Sunday, like as a sneak peek. Oh, where am yeah, I going? Yeah, but it's not a sneak peek because by the time this gets released, it's, it's yeah, going to be so. it'll be months after the sermon. I'm going in. Uh, well, I don't mind. I'm going uh, the next two um, in John chapter one. So we talked about the lie of the world this morning, mm-hmm. and uh, John was witness to that light. True ministry is about witness to that light, um, and we kind of dove in more deep what it means that Jesus is light of the world. Um, and he sheds light. He brings revelation. And the rest of that pa- passage down to verse 18 is about Jesus bringing light to the human condition hmm. and bringing light to the Christian's status. So uh, light. So truth revealed. Jesus reveals the truth about humanity hmm. and its darkness and about Christians, his people, and their new status as children of God. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I'm excited. It's, it's man, it don't get better than John chapter one, man. I thought you it were gonna so preach good. the whole book this morning. I I could have, man. It's so <laughs> good. I mean, oh gosh, it's hot, man. John, I tell you though, we've really at Harvest made it hard on our preachers. I mean, we went to Genesis. Genesis was so hard to preach, man. It's such a. I feel like when I'm preaching, I'm always referring back to Genesis. Mm. 
It's like, you know, that's where you got to go to. It's where yeah. you got to start at. Uh, and when you're doing Bible theology in your sermons, and I really feel like John, John chapter 1 is where I go to most of the time. So I find it hard to preach on the things I'm always referring mm. to, <laughs> you know, in other parts of the Bible, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like, how do you preach the, the best parts? I, I don't do mm. very well, but I love it, man. It's it's a yeah. challenge, and I love the Tying challenge. it all together. It's always the, the battle of... What do you yeah, because you just know it's going to be a letdown. Yeah. Like, you just, you hate to feel like that. You know, I felt like preaching through Genesis, especially the first three chapters, you're like, this is just going to be a letdown. Yeah. You know, like, it's just, you're not going to meet the hype. And when you get to John chapter 1, you know, I said, it's like um, you mess it up when you try to preach it. Like, you should just read it and just get down from the pulpit. Like, it's just that. It preaches itself, and you really just mess it up when you try to preach it. Uh, it's, it's it's just good, man. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, I appreciate the conversation. Right? Hopefully, for those people listening, it was encouraging, challenging, and uh, maybe they can think about what their church is being confessional. Yeah, and if you're around about, here's a shameless plug, and your church is not confessional, Harvest is. <laughs> That's a shameless plug. I'm just kidding. Instead of coming to Harvest, you should encourage your church and your pastors to be confessional. You should challenge them in that, to hold a confession and use a confession. For We didn't talk about this a lot, but for the next, for your church mm-hmm. now and for the generations that would come after Yeah, you. and I think to that point, not to drag this conversation anymore, but the world needs more healthy churches. And if that's going to happen, it's going to happen because we hold the doctrine, not because we had some bright idea in a staff meeting. Um, So, or some movement that, Mm. I mean, Christianity is a movement, but it's a movement with truth behind it. And if the movement's going to continue in our area, and with our families in the future, you've got to have a multi-generational kind of view. And we've said all the way uh, along the way, the purpose for Harvest, and really in my mind and heart, one of the reasons was for my children, not to be selfish, um, but and for your children, Nate, and for my your children's children and my children's children, that God will, and they'd be able to say, this is what uh, my great-grandfather, Pastor Nate Traywood, believed about the Bible. Because... They founded the church to on these confessions, and they had, didn't waver from mm. them. That's you know, uh, in, in a way, it's a way to mark faithfulness. You know, God willing, um, you know, I will die holding to those confessions, and you know, I'll I, I'll want, if I die holding those confessions, and Harvest Baptist still holds those confessions, I'll die hoping and believing that I was faithful mm. in that. And when we do die, Nate, people are going to come after us. And uh, and there'll be more pastors, God willing, of harvest than just the four that are now. And hopefully those confessions will, will for surely, they'll outlive mm-hmm. us. But hopefully they will be guides for the people that come after yeah. us. No, I think what you said about, you know, the movement, you know, is, is a great point. Because when you think back through church history, you know, we, we talk about revival happening and, um, you know, all these great, movements throughout history Um, but you can't separate those movements from their rootedness in scripture and in historic christianity Um, and so i know that's my prayer i think it's your prayer for harvest and the surrounding area that we would just be be faithful like you just said so yeah it's a movement that will only grow i believe because of 
the way uh, I see eschatology, well, the way the Bible says it's going to work. Mm. That's, that's how this movement works Thankfully, out. this is not an issue discussed in the New Hampshire Confession, because neither one of us could be in church together if it was. Uh, and in the Baptist Faith and Message, it leaves it open for all three eschatological positions. Uh, it, it just leaves a lot of grace for those that are right, those post-millennialists mm. among us. Mm. Baptist faith and, and message. And grace for those who aren't. No no justification for this. Baptist faith and message, confession or no. Just yes or no. That's all you get to say. No, not a confession. Really? Not a confession. Not a confession. Interesting. Mm-mm. Well, there you go. It's a it's a it's a document. No, 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 no. This is the minimal beliefs that we can uh, agree to to cooperate together for the Great Commission around the world. So a confession a of confession. sorts. Yeah, but not really one for church prospering in the local church, but one to be used between churches, not for the local mm. church. Not intentionally. Now, we use it for that at Harvest, um, and I don't mind using it for that, but that was not its original intention. So I'm a little hesitant to say it's a confession. There you go. Hot takes. Yep. Hot takes on small topics or hot takes on big topics. Lighthearted conversations about big topics. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to practice that for next yeah. time. All right. Well, we'll see you next time then. Yeah, hope, you, hope you'll listen again. Hope we didn't scare you away from Big Boy Church. Thank you for listening to the Big Boy Church podcast. Big Boy Church is a ministry of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, you can check out our website at harvestbc.church. You can also email us at contact.harvestbc at gmail.com. We hope to have you back next time for another episode of Big Boy Church.